for the week of February 11th, 2024, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 647, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling-Reich. And in the party suite at the Super Bowl, I'm Michael Giltz. Taylor's boyfriend won! Yes! You know, I, I was uh, in the airport over uh, the past weekend. I think it was Thursday. I was walking past a souvenir stand in Austin, Texas, of all places. And there was a whole rack of T-shirts that said in, in, in the Kansas City Chiefs colors, go Taylor's boyfriend. Not even. <laughs> <laughs> they wore them on The View. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I watched oh, yeah. that. I thought that was very funny. I was like, who came up with this shirt? It's amazing. And I took a picture of it and the, the store owner said, you know, if I could just get money for the pictures, I'd, I'd be making a killing. <laughs> well, this, this, um, th- I think all the reviews are good that the game was uh, a, a fun, a thriller, certainly with the finale, that's for sure. Um, but the halftime show, the reviews for Usher ranged from electrifying to Usher fizzles. I personally thought it was very poorly done from a directing standpoint. I thought visually it was a mess. I never really got a sense of the spectacle and who was doing what where. It was just so tight on Usher that I just you saw a million things going on in the background. And I found it very confusing and poorly shot. But then I'm not a big Usher fan, I guess. Of course, we're talking about the Super Bowl, for those of you just catching up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks for gluing them in. Did you watch the halftime show? I did watch the halftime show. Um, and uh, I, I can tell you that this is why people don't sing live. That was like uh, the, the concept. By the way, he did sing live and he did do a, a lot a decent, of it. Yeah, that was the, decent that job. Was the best but part of, course, of it. He sang, he danced, he, he worked his ass off. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But also you kind of notice like, oh, the microphone got bumped. And, you know, while, when, during a costume change, and you know what? That's just part of, if you're going to sing live, yeah. those are the things that will happen. Um, that was like great. You, the, yes, n- no complaints there, but just know that your audio is just not going to be perfect, which is fine because you're not, not necessarily going for that. Um, yeah. But like you, the first part of it, I was like, wow, there's a lot going on here. What is going on? And what is this song? And what is that song? And I couldn't hear. And, and, and then when they finally cut to a wide shot, I was like, oh, thank, I, like I actually noticed it. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that looks pretty cool, actually, with the marching band and everything. I thought, what's going on? Very little of that. And at the end, they actually cut, oh, instead of being on Usher, they were on him the whole time. At the very end, they cut to like a wide shot of the stadium, just this not interesting visually, just bigger, the empty stadium. And goodbye, thank you very much. It's like, wow, they did, I thought, very poorly done visually because you got to, it's for the people at home. It ain't for the people in the stadium. And whatever the fun spectacle was, I didn't think it came across at all. But a lot of other people thought it was uh, very successful. So who knows? Uh, It's been a busy two weeks. You've been traveling. Here we are. It was my mom's 95th birthday, 95 years old. And a lot's been going on. The FCC, they are outlawing AI-generated voices on robocalls. This is in anticipation of the political season, and they're worried about people using AI. So, but you can't do any AI-generated voices at all in robocalls ever again in, in the U.S. It's not going to happen, to which I thought if only Rich Little were alive, his quote would have just gone way up. <laughs> True. Did you, yeah, ever, did you ever deal with A3 Artists Agency? Yes, I was a little surprised to hear that they were shutting down. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's a shame to see. The bigger getting bigger, so of course a boutique talent agency here in Hollywood, yeah. uh, it's it's tough to make a go of it. 
Yeah, my favorite headline of the week was uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook and NBA Commissioner Adam Silver talk Vision Pro. That's their new VR goggles, though you're not supposed to call it VR. And the quote was, this changes everything. To which I say, actually, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Vision Pro did not change everything. Not yet. Give it five years, maybe. But that's ridiculous. But some things do change. Law and Order, a show famous, a series, a franchise famous for a revolving door of stars. Like, it's about the show. It's not about the stars. You got Mariska Hargitay on SVU. And now you have Sam Waterston. He spent 20 years on Law and Order. And he is finally stepping down. And Tony Goldwyn is stepping in his place. Amazon Prime, while we were gone, turned on the ads. Three and a half minutes per hour of ads now for all Amazon subscribers, unless you pay an extra three bucks. Cue the class action lawsuit of people who say you're changing our terms of service unfairly. That's not what we paid for. And now suddenly you're making us watch ads. So there is a new class action lawsuit about that. And we did cover the Hugo Awards two weeks ago. That's the world's one of the top sci-fi and fantasy award shows for fiction and movies and all that sort of stuff. A lot of shenanigans going on when they held the Hugo Awards in China. The director of the nonprofit that oversees the Hugo Awards is gone. A board chair is gone. Uh, there's a whole lot of turnover and turmoil. And every and, year, and a newly do you want to explain what the Hugo Awards the award. are? Well, we did. As, as I said two weeks ago and this week just now, it's the top awards for uh, fiction and nonfiction and podcasts and movies and TV shows related to sci-fi and fantasy. So there was a lot of turmoil because they held their awards in China. Shenanigans went on and now heads have rolled. And Byron Allen, speaking of making heads roll and eyes pop out, he made a play for Paramount Global, a $30 billion play, though ever since he announced it, I've heard precious little about it. That's just some of the stuff that's been going on this week. Wow, it's been a long time. What are we going to talk about this week on the show? This week on Showbiz Sandbox, we're exhausted from the Super Bowl party you and I went to uh, in Taylor's, uh, Taylor's suite there. You know, all the, the stars and, you know, the security we had to get through to get in. Oh. All, all, also, the, the, you know, the fact that we weren't invited. Uh, but hey, the commercials, Usher's halftime show, which we just talked about, Reba's national anthem. I, th- I thought she did a pretty good job, actually. The romance, uh, you know, of uh, what romance are we talking about now? There was so much romance going on. Taylor and Travis, of course. Oh, okay. And some sort of, by the way, you know, in between all the stuff we're talking about, there was some kind of Mm -hmm. sports ball thing happening where people were like helmets and they threw a thing and then they kicked a thing, but sometimes the thing didn't go through the little like yellow things at the end of the field. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. Um, The Directors Guild of America announced its top prize and fans of nuclear weapons are going to be very happy. Uh, Oh, actually, no, that can't be right. Let me just double check. Oh, fans of movies about people who made the atomic bomb and then urged the world to ban it. Those people will be happy. Plus, the Oscars added a new category and we're delighted about it. Uh, Also, we've been saying now since the very beginning of this program, like in 2009, hey, how come there's not an Oscar for that? We'll also catch up very briefly on the Grammys. Uh, Taylor Swift, by the way, OMG, exclamation point. And we've got a roundup on more people being fired and unions getting more active. Coincidence? Probably not. Uh, On Inside Baseball, we'll talk about not one, but two blockbuster announcements that involve streaming and sports. Sure, you have heard about the Disney Warner Brothers Fox proposal. Uh, I'm not the first person, nor will I be the last to call it not Hulu, but 
Sportulu or Spulu. Uh, but did you hear about the free <laughs> sports streamer in Europe? I bet you you didn't. So you're welcome. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. Actually, wait a second. He can't do that. He's still digging up last week's box office from all the numerous sources that have completely disappeared over the past like month. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. We're looking at box office around the world. We start with Comscore, but we like to dig deep and get box office info from every major market that we can. If you've got a market that we don't cover regularly or you've got a great resource that we can access information by Sunday afternoon or early Monday, you know, let us know. We'll get we'll give you that info in a minute, but we are talking about the worldwide box office and all the action was in China. In the US, the Super Bowl decimated the box office. Nobody went to the movies. But in China, the Chinese New Year began on February 10th. Happy Year of the Dragon to you, Sperling. Yes, there we go. And it's a 16-day it's a festival, really. It ends with the Lantern Festival on February 24th. So a lot of big movies came out. A lot of them were released on Saturday instead of the slightly more typical Friday in China. Here in the U.S., most new movies open on a Thursday night, actually. But anyway, over the first two days of the Chinese New Year, China box office totaled $350 million in two days. So people are ready to go back to the movies in China. You just got to make those movies available. Pay attention, Hollywood. So don't be surprised that the top four movies around the world are from China. And by the way, if you uh, wanted to know more about the Chinese market, tune into the CJ Cinema Summit because last week we covered China and uh, Rance Pal of Artisan Gateway explained why the uh, imported films, not just, not just American films, but also French and Korean, aren't doing as well in China as they previously had been. It was fascinating. And uh, cjcinemasummit.com is where you can find it. That's that. great. I, 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 I'd love to, I'm going to check that out because I missed that. Uh, we've talked before about government propaganda saying, don't go to uh, foreign movies. And how now they're like, well, you can go again, but people are maybe wary or just lost the habit. Of course, Chinese films are much better than they were uh, previously. Artistically, they've grown by leaps and bounds. Uh, were there any other insights that he offered or was there one, one big takeaway? Well, more and more, the, the cinema operators that are opening movie theaters are doing so in tier two, three, and four markets, meaning that they're, they're not opening in Beijing, they're opening in a, in a town that has 60,000 people. Uh, so they're not necessar- those particular uh, citizens of, of China aren't necessarily wanting to read subtitles. They're more interested in just the Chinese content. So as that happens, uh, of course, it looks more and more like the Chinese films are are, are getting bigger and bigger and there's less need for imported films. So just mm, like that here, doesn't I make mean, sense. that doesn't I mean, make sense like, to me because here art films don't necessarily play in small towns in Oklahoma necessarily. Um, though I'm here in Birmingham, Alabama, not a great movie going town. And I see films from India and I see art films all the time. They only last a week, maybe two, but they're here. They open up at least. But that wouldn't explain why Hollywood movies would fall. It might explain why Chinese movies kept growing even bigger. But people simply aren't going to Hollywood movies at all, even in the major markets where they already have tons of screens in all the big cities in China. They've got a 300 million strong middle class in a lot of urban centers that would seem to be still ready to go see Hollywood movies. So that's certainly a partial explanation for why uh, there might be growth in Chinese films, but it wouldn't explain the decline in Hollywood. But I'm sure it's still a uh, talk worth checking out. What's that address again? cjcinemasummit.com. 
All right, we're looking at box office from around the world. The number one film is YOLO. You only live once. YOLO. It's a Chinese film. It opened to $113 million. It's about a middle-aged, I think she's middle-aged, I beg your pardon, a woman in her 30s who is unemployed, whose life turns around when she meets a boxing coach. Somehow she turns herself around. The actress who stars in it physically transformed herself a la De Niro, becoming a boxer. She like stayed out of the public view for months. So when she went on her tour, she could stun people with what she looked like. Uh, sounds right for Hollywood movie make. YOLO opened to $113 million. And number two is Pegasus 2. Uh, it's a sequel to a big hit film about a race car driver who followed his dreams. Uh, it's based on a true story. The sequel opened up to $107 million. The original made $250 million worldwide. And this one is already starting to outpace YOLO. So on day two, it started to catch up. So next week, you might expect Pegasus 2 to have a better hold. Boonie Bears, Time Twist. That's the latest in the modestly budgeted Chinese animated film series. Normally, they don't make this much money, but Boonie Bears Time Twist opened to $62 million. And then finally, the great director Zhang Yimou has a new comedy drama out called Article 20. That opened to $48 million. So you can see $100 million, $100 million, $60 million, $50 million. A big, big week for Chinese movie going. Uh, not every movie was big. Andy Lau is one of the big stars around in, in that market. And his new movie, The Chinese Emperor, opened up. It opened to about uh, a modest $8 million. It's about a movie star who's going to star in a new film. And he goes to the countryside to be with the peasants in order to uh, learn more about their way of life. And uh, he's a big, arrogant movie star and gets very humbled uh, by the people who are around him. And... Perhaps uh, that happened for Andy Lau here, too, since this movie didn't do as well as he would have liked. And China, Viva La Vida, another Chinese film, also opened to a modest $8 million. Not every movie is going to succeed, but four movies opened up very strongly and certainly reached their audience. So now it's up to them to deliver the goods. But that's a big, big week for the Chinese cinema. The biggest movie around the world that's not from China this week is Argyle. Director Matthew Vaughn's movie, Apple bought it for $200 million. It made $25 million this week after a modest opening last week. It's at $60 million worldwide. I saw the trailer. I thought, well, it could be okay. Um, this is the movie I think that would give studio execs chills. Just shiver down your spine because it's literally a film the reviews weren't great, but it doesn't necessarily matter. But this movie, every market around the world just seemed to say, yeah, no, not for me. I mean, yeah. nobody went. Nobody did not go on opening day. You have a big movie with a big budget and they're pounding the pavement and nobody went anywhere. It just didn't. Everybody said, no, nah, no, thanks. Not, no, not for me. Maybe something else. It was just, it must scare the hell out of you when you're a studio exec. Yeah, because but that, it makes you feel mm -hmm. like you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, though Matthew Vaughn, if you look at his box office numbers, not a guy you would necessarily want to have a, a massively budgeted movie like that. That was a big leap for him. Though you'd think he made that kind of movie, a big, fun, action-y type flick, so with comic overtones. So it's not out of his wheelhouse. It's not like he made a quiet drama about peasants. You know, it's, it's right the sort of thing he does. But uh, boy, did that not work. But the romantic comedy, Anyone But You Worked, that made $18 million this week. Great, great legs for this movie, $170 million worldwide. The same could be said for Wonka, 
starring Timothy Chalamet, the stealth musical that's about to hit $600 million worldwide. It made $16 million this week. That movie's doing great. The UK loved it, loved Wonka. Oh my gosh, there will be a Wonka too. There's no doubt about it. And this weekend, I went to see Dune Part 1 because I missed it in IMAX. It was shot and designed for IMAX. Part 2 is coming out in a few weeks. I have tickets for February 29th. And I wanted to give it another chance. I'd read the book and the movie's so complex. I was sort of mixed on it. But watching it a second time, I have to say it, the craft behind the movie was really great. I really appreciated it. And I still have no idea how anyone who hasn't read the book could know what the hell was going on. It's a complicated movie. But I saw it in IMAX. It was not a, not a bad screening Friday night. There were people there, but it's not on the charts at all. Any idea? Yeah, I don't know. I don't is? know where it is. I looked myself and I, I plan on uh, getting in touch with them to say, guys, where, where is this thing? Yeah, I guess the, 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 the grosses weren't high enough and they thought, well, we don't want to talk about this. And maybe they stifled them. Certainly, they're happy with the grosses for poor things. The Yorgos Lanthimos Frankenstein-type comic drama. That stars Emma Stone. It made another $13 million this week. That's really doing great. It's at $80 million worldwide. They're going to triple their budget. So they really rolled the dice on that one and it has paid off. The same is true for Migration, the universal animated film. That made $13 million this week. And and The Beekeeper, starring Jason Statham, that made $11 million this week. That's at $134 million worldwide. If you're looking at stories to tell, the success of The Chosen, a TV series about the life of Jesus that has started showing some of its season premiere or season finale episodes in theaters, wow. Episodes one through three of season four debuted in theaters two weeks ago, and this week it made another $5 million. It has grossed $12 million so far. To compare, that is way more than Game of Thrones made at the peak of its lunacy when people were crazy about it, and they showed a season premiere in movie theaters. This is way outpacing that. It's a TV show. They're repurposing episodes, and they have grossed $12 million. Theaters must love that, and they must be looking at all the other TV shows to say, who wants to do it next? They love that kind of programming, don't they? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The Zone of Interest opened wider. That made another $5 million this week. It's at $10 million and counting. And Lisa Frankenstein, a modestly budgeted movie, but not modestly budgeted enough. Much like Argyle, it just opened and everybody said, no, no, thank you. You can go to our list to see all the movies. Looking down for a few things to say. In Germany, Eine Million Minuten, A Million Minutes, a German drama, opened, uh, made about $2 million this week. It's at $4 million and counting. We missed it on the charts last week uh, and uh, Oppenheimer still made a little money $959 million this week oh and in Curious Curious type movie a British indie film about prehistoric man that is performed in a made up language it's called Out of Darkness Got great reviews on the festival circuit, and it opened up to $1 million. So there's little movies. When you look at the list, you've got India, Germany, Italy, the UK, of course, US and China, British indie films. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of movies from all over the world, but some stuff still falls through the cracks. Uh, in the Philippines, a local film became the top grossing Filipino film of all time, both locally and worldwide. It's called Rewind, and it's a time-traveling relationship drama starring real-life couple Ding Dong Dantes and Marianne Rivera. 
They're together in real life. And in the movie, their marriage is crumbling, and then divine intervention allows the husband to go back in time and make things right. It has grossed $16 million worldwide. It's the first Filipino movie to ever hit that mark. So uh, that's very cool. But I guess when you're making movies like Argyle, you want something to hold on to. And one thing you could always look at was cinema score, right? I bet it got a poor cinema score and say, ah, that explains it. The movie didn't deliver, right? Stuff like that really gives you some sense of control when you don't know what the hell is going on. In the end, it doesn't give you any control at all. So, I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> like, people are really interested. I, I don't know. I mean, I've always been like, okay, cinema score. I know that there are some distribution executives that swear by it, but I'm like, who are these people? And why should I care what they think? But uh, apparently, people do care what they think. But, uh, you know, I know why you're, you're mentioning this. The founder has passed away. I think he was 83 years old. That's right. And he was inspired because when he went to see a Neil Simon comedy called The Cheap Detective, I remember that bad movie. He said, oh, Neil Simon. And some critic gave it a good review. He went to see the movie and said, that's awful. He said, why am I listening to a critic? I should listen to Neil Simon fans who go see the movie. And that gave him the idea for Cinema Score. So good for him. He made a business out of it. So that's cool to see. Um, but, you know, the critics like to speak. Audience likes to speak. And at the same time, your fellow filmmakers, they love to speak. The Academy Awards are looming up, but the DGA just gave out its big awards, didn't they? Yes. And of course, uh, as expected, I, I would have thought this to, to be the case. Uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan won the top prize uh, for uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, that was the movie about the atom bomb that uh, we re referenced earlier. Uh, Celine mm -hmm. Xiong, uh, or Celine Song, uh, won for best first feature for her movie, Past Lives. Uh, she was not nominated for an Oscar. However, I can tell you, please go see that movie. It's very good. Uh, it is definitely, yes, it's an art film, but it's a very good movie. Have you seen that movie, Michael, mm -hmm. Past Lives? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, and the, and the male lead is very good looking. <laughs> it's very attractive, <laughs> in case you were wondering. <laughs> uh, 20 Days in Mario Pool won for Best Documentary. Uh, and I, I can imagine it's probably going to win Best Documentary at the Oscars, too. I mean, I don't know how you top being shot at in, in uh, the Ukraine during the opening month of that war and getting that footage out to the world. I mean, it's a, a remarkable documentary uh i think they kind of got this one right what do you think yeah well uh, i don't know about right but i mean certainly that this is was as expected oppenheimer is steamrolling towards the oscars people will want to make up all sorts of it could be that it's oppenheimer best picture best director there will be some suspense but not for those two awards if you're laying down your money I would do it on them. Uh, but we don't know who's going to win the Best Casting Award, best, the Academy Award for Best Casting. Uh, that will not happen until 2026, but it's happening. The Oscars have added their first new competitive Oscar since 2001 when they added the Best Animation Feature. Now, casting. Uh, they will be awarded for the 2025 film, so not next year. Apparently, we have to think a year about it before we dive right in. So in 2025, all those movies that are released, they'll have a ceremony in 2026, and that's when we will finally see casting directors get their moment in the spotlight. Now, directors of films were often a little pissy about that. They didn't like that they call themselves casting directors, and the directors say, well, we do, you know, we do this a lot. Just like they do in editing and other areas, they're kind of involved in everything because they're directing 
But I think this is great. I think it's exciting. Up next should be stunt people. They deserve an Oscar. They're risking their lives, unfortunately. And uh, I think that would be a really cool thing. And some other people call for best vocal performance, you know, for people who are not seen on screen. Again, you're talking like animated films, I guess, mostly. But there you go. It is a different type of skill. But if casting were an award this year, Sperling, who would deserve to win it? Oh, my goodness. I guess you could go for Poor Things or Oppenheimer, Barbie. Those are the, the ones that I guess uh, I might lean, lean on. Uh, yeah, I mean, know. Oppenheimer has sort of the most casting, right? There's famous people in every little role, and, and they're really good at it. So that's very arguable. Uh, I love mostly when you see unexpected casting or an ensemble of talented people that you think is going to break out. Like if I was going to get a wild card, I would say Bottoms, that comedy. That's a great cast. That's a really great job. But Barbie? They, they, they found a Barbie in Ken. That's not easy. They did a great job. They struggled for years on how to do that. So uh, I, think, uh, you know, I think that would be one that might pull that out. And if you're looking at the classics that should have won this award, uh, The Breakfast Club, The Outsiders, The Big Chill, Dazed and Confused, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. When you see an ensemble and everybody's great and you don't know who any of them are, you're like, wow, who are these people? That's great casting. Now, did they do good casting for the Grammy Awards? I'm sure you watched it, and Trevor Noah was the host. The ratings were up 34% over 2023, but nowhere near historic highs, but still trajectorying the right way. 16.9 million people watched the Grammy Awards. How did you think Trevor did? I thought he did very well, actually, and uh, I know I haven't read any of the reviews. I was traveling the day after the, the Grammys, and I can say that it was pouring rain here. We got where I live, 12 inches of rain in 48 hours. And uh, it, it was a, you know, a lot of water. And so that was happening as people were arriving. So everybody thought, oh, Taylor, she had to make an entrance. No, she was trying to get into the venue. Uh, there were a lot of seat fillers in that opening bit there where he was kind of like pointing oh look we have so-and-so i did think his line about like look there goes taylor swift she's coming in look you can see like the economic impact that's happening it's no longer lionel richie it's lionel wealthy i thought you know he did a very <laughs> good job of off the cuff you know introducing meryl streep who wasn't sitting down because she was getting there so you know he had uh, he had his back up against uh yeah i thought he did fine I thought he was fine. I thought he's the right tone. Uh, there's a little too much. You're the best ever. Oh my God. That was the greatest song ever. Like stop telling us we've just seen a Grammy moment. <laughs> That's just in general. If it's great, people will go, wow, that was great. Um, so chillax on that. But I thought he was perfectly fine. But on the televised award, every single award was won by a female or a female act. So that was cool to see. And when you're looking at the big award, Album of the Year, of course, that's where history was made. Taylor Swift won for her album, Midnight. It's the fourth time she has won Album of the Year. She is the first artist in history. Frank Sinatra, Paul Simon, Stevie Wonder, each won it a remarkable three times. Taylor Swift, she's 34. She has now won it four times. My God, <laughs> that's a lot. Some blowback. Some people said, my God, black women have only won it three times. Natalie Cole, Lauren Hill, Whitney Houston. Uh, that's not great. People of color have only won it 18 times. And that's out of 83 years of handing out album of the year. But I would point out that the trends are moving in the right direction. In the last decade, 
Only two of the last 10 wins for album of the year have been white guys. It's been women six times or people of color, uh, which was Bruno Mars and Jean-Baptiste. So only Beck and Harry Styles broke the trend. Of the last 10 years, 80% of the time, it was a woman most of the time or a person of color. That's great to see. Now, Taylor Swift has won it, you know, four times. And in that last uh, 10 years, you had Adele, Billie Eilish, and Casey Musgrave. So, you know, a diversity of women as well. Even though Taylor Swift has won it a lot, those other women stepped up as well. In the last 20 years, 13 of the last 20 album of the years were won by women or people of color. And that includes Ray Charles and Herbie Hancock and Alison Krauss, who won it alongside Robert Plant. So when you're looking at the last 10 years, it's very strong women and people of color. Last 20 years, you could see that trend beginning. When you look at the entire history, Yes, women have only won it 19 times as a solo act and only 22 times if you count Fleetwood Mac, Yoko Ono, and Alison Krauss alongside Robert Plant and John Lennon, as you well should. So that's 22 times for women out of 83 awards. That's only 25%. And guess what? Women make up half the population. They release a lot of great music. So since the talent is there, it should be getting better. But look at the last 10 years. It really is getting better. So it's not Taylor Swift's fault. People are yelling at her. I'm like, she didn't give herself the award. You know, she didn't say I'm taking it. It was voted for her. So get angry at the Academy if you want or the system. But what do do you think of her getting on stage? and, And, you know, the one thing you're not supposed to do when you get on stage like that after winning an award, you can do it like if you're presenting an award, different story. The whole reason you're there might be to promote something you're not supposed to promote that wasn't uh, for album of the year that was for an earlier award um, yeah, so, so it wasn't for album of the year she talked up her new album coming out you know whatever fine why not it's it's okay. the show is supposed to boost the music industry and by the way speaking of the super bowl we saw trailers for kingdom of the planet of the apes twisters uh, on and on and on, all sorts of different movies. And it's like the first time you're seeing some of these trailers. And I keep thinking, as others have said, this should be happening at the Oscars. Yes, uh, as well, perhaps at the Super Bowl, but there should be big movie trailer premieres happening at the Oscars. You should know if you watch the Oscars, you're going to see some big movie, you know, a big new blast of new movies, not in the Oscars like they did this the last time teasing something. But like in the ads, this should be a big event night where you're like, oh, I can't wait to see that new trailer for Wicked. Maybe they'll sing this time. I can't wait to see that new trailer for this movie or that movie coming out in the fall or Christmas. And you don't even know the trailer is going to be there. Uh, Maybe Mad Max, you know, that that should be a thing at the Oscars for God's sakes, but it's the Grammys. They're promoting music. It makes sense. She would promote music. I don't know. Uh, But next week we'll talk about uh, we've, I've got my albums of the year, the rock and roll hall of fame announced their next batch of potential inductees. And we'll talk about who deserves it. But a lot, if you scroll down has been going on in the unions. There's a lot going on in the industry. There's a lot of firing going on. I guess it's because of the changing quarters and the quarterly reports. And they wanted to do the reports and then get the bad news out of the way. But there's a lot happening in the union industry and in the movie and film industry and jobs in general. Can you tell us about that? Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in. The movie and TV industry, as you know, Michael, it's still recovering from the studios forcing a strike by both writers and actors. I mean, l- let's face it, the studios at this point, I think everybody's pointing their fingers at them. It was pretty much, the studios could have ended that a lot sooner. The strike didn't have to happen, <laughs> uh, but essentially the studios refused to negotiate with anyone but directors who gave the studios, studios uh, the directors gave them what they wanted, but 
They also got to renegotiate through the back door. We'll talk about that. The result was devastating for individuals, the TV and film industry, especially exhibitors. But in the short term, it created the illusion of good news for studios. They saved money, sort of, not really. Uh, well, union activity and potential strikes are looming again, of course. Here's a roundup of all the activity involving the visual effects people and the powerhouse unions of IATSE and the Teamsters, str uh, stirrings of activisms for off-Broadway and a headline from The Onion that isn't a joke. There's also the musicians union. Nobody talks about them ever. That's true. I couldn't. That was a little complicated. But yeah, tell us about the firings. People are losing their jobs, which is always sad to hear. Well, yeah, CNN basically said, hey, nobody is watching linear television. And you know what? There's like 900 morning shows. So maybe we won't do one since nobody ever seems to be watching it. And we keep bungling how we're handling it. So no more morning show. No more morning news show. Mm -hmm. It's basically headline news for, for the mornings now on CNN. And they're moving uh, from New York City to Atlanta. And the staff can reapply for, their, for other jobs if they want to stay in New York. I don't know why they didn't hire Amy Holmes and TJ, I mean, Amy Roback and TJ Holmes. Good Lord. They seem perfect. But anyway, but they don't want chit chat. They want hard news. And I guess that's their model. So that makes sense. Well, they're also kind of saying, hey, you know what? It, the cost of what we're doing uh, is too high. So we can hire a whole bunch of seven figure people and pretty much get the same amount that we would get for hiring people who aren't that expensive because nobody seems to be watching. Uh, and by the way, that's true also over at uh, Today and Good Morning America and all of the, uh, the other morning news shows. They're, they're well, they've got high-powered, well. expensive people, and they make a lot of money. Uh, we're over at Good Morning America. And, Today and Good Morning yes. America. Yeah, they make a ton of money. Yeah. And they're more, by the way. Drivers for the network. Yeah. And by the way, even though ratings are down, they're still not bad, as you just pointed out, Michael. Uh, and they're doing way better than CNN ever was. Uh, Snapchat oh, yeah. is firing 10% uh, of their worldwide workforce. That's about 540 people. Uh, SiriusXM is firing 3% of their workforce, about 160 people. And Warner Music is firing 10% oh. of its staff, about 600 people worldwide. One out of every 10 employees at the company is losing their job. And that's, that's actually a lot when you think about it. It also just announced, and this is Warner Music, that is, uh, their most profitable quarter ever. Ever. Think about that. Think about that. We've just, ah, best ever. You're all fired. <laughs> it's like, yeah. really? That may explain why unions are proving more popular than they've been in generations. Avatar. The visual effects folk who work on Avatar are leaving Pandora for IATSE. In a way, the folks at a Disney subsidiary, many of whom have worked on Avatar, voted to join a union. It's not a big group, but as The Hollywood Reporter says, it's an influential one. Unions are good for everyone, and I swear this, including the businesses that must negotiate with them. It's good to have workers who are protected, who feel safe, who feel valued, and who feel listened to. They are not your enemies, you morons. The IATSE and Teamsters Local 399, those are the basic crafts folk, uh, not craft food, since craft services but basic crafts the talks begin on march 4th just a couple of weeks away they have announced they will negotiate their pension and health plans together with ampass and by the way if you're wondering ampass yes they are ready to strike take them seriously last time you ended up making a deal you agreed was perfectly reasonable but only after a long strike disrupting movies and tv and kneecapping the industry's recovery after covid so not so smart and off broadway tell us what's going on off broadway at the atlantic theater 
Well, the Atlantic's 178 full and part-time workers are eligible to vote uh, about joining IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, as you just kind of mentioned, Michael. Uh, it's the same union, by the way, that Broadway workers and some 15,000 members in the New York metropolitan area belong to. Also here in the state of California, a lot of the theatrical workers, both in movies, television, and on stage are all members of IATSE. Also, by the way, IATSE is organizing at the long-running Little Shop of Horrors, Titanic, etc. Uh, Atlantic says it's a, a it's very pro union, just not pro union for its own workers. So please, don't. <laughs> by, by the way, so and, and you know, remember we talked about like how. Uh, the New York Times did away with its sports department. They were like, sports department, sports department. We have and the athletic. theater people. Yeah, the athletic. Yeah. They, they said, look, we have a sports department. We also have the athletic, which is a sports website. Let's just mash them together, get rid of the sports department, who are unionized employees, and bring in the folks yeah. from the athletic, who are not unionized employees. So that's basically what happened there as well. Yeah, that's disaster. Um, so this is about off-Broadway getting unions the way Broadway has unions. And they will all say, my God, you know, it's so hard to make anything work. It's hard to make have a long-running show off-Broadway. The economics only work if you're on Broadway. And even that is so hard. You're crippling us. You're killing us. You know what? Theater is very hard economically. Every show's a roll of the dice and a financial risk. And companies are facing existential threats as theater slowly rebounds. I understand that. I love live theater. But you know what? It's not charity work. It's a business. And employees deserve benefits and health care and pensions, period. And this is not to pick on Atlantic for doing a good job. They have Kimberly Akimbo on Broadway, which is about to close or has and is going to tour. They have Days of Wine and Roses on Broadway, which is a limited run with two big stars, so that won't necessarily tour. And they have two more shows headed there. One show called English and another one I think could be a great touring property, which is Buena Vista Social Club. So uh, none of those are necessarily going to make them rich beyond their wildest dreams. But I don't care where you're working off off Broadway. People deserve to have a decent living. You can't have shows that are running for a year like Little Shop of Horrors and expect the staff to scrimp and save. But I love I love this headline from The Onion. The Onion news the email came in and it said the Onion Union reaches a tentative deal with management. And I was like, ah, that's fine. Oh, it's not a joke. <laughs> it sounded like a joke to me. But, but no, they, they reached a deal with management. So who knew? They were funny even when they're unionizing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, union, union uh, comedy writers getting a union, that's a big deal. Oh, well, you know what? If you think that's a big deal, I can't wait until you hear about some of the stories we have during our Big Deal or Big Whoop segment. Of course, Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story, it, it was all the talk the week of the Grammys. It, it, it's Ooh. a TikTok dance-off, in fact. Is that a thing? A dance-off? A TikTok dance-off? I don't know. Maybe. In any case, Universal Music Group pulled its music from the social media platform when they couldn't come to terms on a new licensing deal. The sticking points? The use of AI. That's artificial intelligence for you keeping score at home. Uh, how to deal with infringing works, for instance. Compensation as in, you know, money. So pretty much everything was on the table. As TikTok <laughs> saw when it experimentally watched what people did when music wouldn't play on their service in Australia, folks do not like a music-free TikTok. Uh, you know, by the way, TikTok used to be called Musical.ly, so just a, a hint as to uh -huh. what, 
Yeah. Uh, Universal Music Group is the world's largest music company, and it's publishing stretches far beyond the Universal labels. So this affects a lot of people. Billboard said it's akin to SAG after and the WGA going on strike. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? I would say, by the way, it's the it, it's akin to that if SAG after and WGA only worked on 60 second movies. <laughs> uh, well, they've got 60 second soap operas coming from Asia for the US too. They're hoping to conquer us. Um, Trevor Noah's best joke at the at the Grammys was when he chided TikTok for taking advantage of artists. He said, that's Spotify's job. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did think that was funny. Yeah, that was very good. Spotify, by the way, added 10 million paying subscribers worldwide. They're now at 236 million paying subscribers. Plus, they extended deals with Joe Rogan and Alex Cooper in the podcast arena. Uh, those are not exclusive anymore. So you'll be able to listen to Joe Rogan on YouTube if you're so inclined. They claim their podcasting division might even show a profit this year. And guess what? Overall, Spotify is losing less money than they were last year. So good for them. They also, of course, fired about 25% of their employees. They're down to 7,500. Spotify's uh, struggles to become profitable and TikTok struggles to properly compensate the labels and the publishing houses. It's a very big deal. Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't get to see the end of the Grammys and you know why? That brainstorm I was telling you about, the internet Mm -hmm. went out, the power went out, like everything was out. I was like, well, I guess nobody, nobody in Los Angeles is going to know who won. So we all had to like turn on our phones and and we found out also when power goes out, apparently cell towers don't work. So we were kind of up the creek, if you will, literally. They got to get, they got to get, you know, they got to get solar panels on the, on the cell towers. Yeah. Well, I think they have them, but you know, it works during the day. Uh, The BBC is considering a landmark study. Big deal, or no? Just kidding. Uh, they're they're considering yeah, a landmark done one. study. I'm sorry. This is I'm sorry. This is poorly worded. They did a landmark study, and then are now considering what to do about it. So tell us about the landmark study. Well, the, the study was about the feasibility of enforcing an eight hour workday for filming movies, TV shows, and you know podcasts. Basically, <laughs> uh, the study found reducing the e- extraordinarily long hours uh, almost expected when making movies and TV shows would amount to only a 4% cost increase because workers were eager to trade a little less money for better hours. Sweden already has a model which filming can take place in 10 hour days for four days a week or eight hours a day for five days a week. Overtime is possible, but it can't be scheduled. And excuses like weather and illness aren't allowed. Virtually everyone polled in the UK film and TV industry on set said they wanted an eight-hour workday. Other strategies to reduce working hours include locking in scripts earlier, shooting on two locations at once when out of the studio, and other quote-unquote embedded behaviors. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Oh, he fairly made it with his voice. Uh, By the way, locking in scripts earlier. Nothing should be easier. And yet they are always way, way behind on locking in scripts, especially on television. It's so completely unnecessary and absurd uh, that that really should be a big focus. They tried to do it here in the U.S. Clint Eastwood made a big push to try and get better working hours. But of course, Clint, you know, he shot quick. One take, two takes, move on. You know, he knew how to work efficiently. Um, But you shouldn't have to give up your life and a home life and a family life just to work on a film or TV set. I hope they put this into practice and it works great. Just after social media companies were pilloried for profiting off platforms 
that subject kids to endless advertising. They made $2 billion last year off ads, hitting kids 12 and under, uh, and bullying Ooh. that leads some to suicide. The social media companies announced, well, um, that would be huge profits. So Yeah, they know, scheduled like, that conveniently after the congressional hearings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Meta, a.k.a. Facebook, alone hit $40 billion in advertising revenue from the fourth quarter alone. They made $40 billion in revenue, of course, not profits, but still revenue. They brought in $40 billion of people walking through the door with money. Okay, in one quarter, <laughs> three months. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger reach 4 billion people a month. No wonder they waited until their congressional hearings were over. Amazon made a measly $14 billion from advertising in the <laughs> same period, by the way. Too bad they have a whole giant store for other stuff. Anyway, uh, YouTube hit a milestone. It announced YouTube pulled in $9.2 billion in ad revenue in the fourth quarter. Translation or a way to put that into perspective, they made YouTube $9.2 billion in ad revenue in one quarter while the domestic box office was just over $9 billion for the entire year. <laughs> Put that in perspective. Uh, plus, YouTube Music and YouTube Premium hit 100 million subscribers worldwide, including trials, which I would assume is like 99 million people. Because who has YouTube Music? Yeah, I don't know who has that. <laughs> so, big deal or big whoop? Uh, it's all a big deal, of course. Um, the profits, the money, the hitting new highs. I have YouTube TV. Uh, but by the way, uh, Zuckerberg in front of Congress did not apologize to the families who have had their children committing suicide after being bullied. He didn't apologize. He said, well, that's no, I'm sorry you went through that. And that's why we have such a great system to deal with it. <laughs> like, he literally did not apologize. And all the headlines said he apologized. So that's all a big mess. But speaking of music, two other things. One, the Grateful Dead set a record on the album charts. You know how I geek out. Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley were tied for the artists with the most top 40 albums in chart history. They each had 58 charting albums in the top 40. The Dead have just passed them with their 59th Top 40 album, a live release from the archive, and their endless series of collections. Billboard has a very good feature about the dead and the folk overseeing those reissues like Rhino Records. We got a link on our show notes. And finally, Sony acquired half of Michael Jackson's remaining holdings in music publishing and the such for more than $600 million. Two things. One, no, it is not just for his catalog of hits that he wrote as many said, comparing it to what Queen or the Rolling Stones might get. It's for his holdings, which include Michael Jackson's song publishing and rights to some masters and publishing rights to other artists like Sly and the Family Stone and many, many others. By the way, not the Beatles. Sony already bought Michael Jackson's stake in ATV, the company he had that contained publishing rights to the Beatles. Shockingly, the deal does not include Sony getting profits from like Michael Jackson's stage productions like Cirque du Soleil or his current show on Broadway. I couldn't believe it didn't include that. They paid $600 million and they don't get a cut of Broadway. Unbelievable. But boy, has he recovered from the scandal, right? <laughs> My goodness. Well, you know, I, I meant to, to mention uh, when you we were talking about the TikTok and the Universal Music Group. Universal Music Group made $10 billion last year. Okay. It's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think yeah. their, their streaming revenue was like 150 million. So like 1% is their, uh, the only thing. So th it's not as if they need this money, right? Uh, from, from TikTok. Well, They're trying to make a point, but it sure is affecting the artists that were on the rise. Uh, 
you, you look I mean, like you they can... do need the money. They do need the money, and artists need the money, and artists their publishing money, rights. Yes. Right, but uh, uh, they do need the money because they're powering a business, and somebody's profiting off all their stuff and not paying them properly, as far as they're concerned. But especially the publishing that they control is a lot more than the artists who are on the Universal Music label. So this affects a whole ton of artists beyond the Universal Music label and what that personally profited from. So yeah, it really impacts smaller artists and people who aren't the Taylor Swift's of the world, and that's why it's a fight worth fighting. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I you know, just it really affects, uh, you know, it it affects the artists a lot, uh, especially those that aren't going to be earning that revenue right now during this time period. Uh, the yeah. thrill of streamers offering their vast libraries for your viewing pleasure. You know, remember that, Michael? Those days. Oh yeah, uh, we yeah. called them them yesterday. Yeah, that that's over. By the way, following in the footsteps of Warner Brothers Discovery and Disney Plus is Paramount Plus. You couldn't tell that was going to happen. They named Paramount. I mean, it's Paramount Plus. They just <laughs> took the name everybody else had. Uh, Warner Brothers decided it was better uh, to just trash some already made movies because they could make more money in the short term by using Batgirl and Scooby-Doo as tax write-offs. And both it and, you know, both uh, Warner Discovery and Disney yanked tons of programming from their streamers rather than pay the annual fees to keep them available. Even marquee titles like Westworld and Promising Fair like the Mighty Ducks series were disappeared. Now Paramount is getting into the act. They're like, we can do that? I didn't know that. Did you know we could do that? We should take... How do we disappear? Is there a button for that? Uh, they are removing some international fair some international programs from their platform as well as simply ignoring some shows they've created but yet to air including a german anthology series starring oscar nominee sandra uller uh, all to manage costs because of course they are for sale they will be sold this year the question is for how much and Ooh. they want to make themselves look better so is all of this a big deal or a big whoop it's a big deal uh our in-house film critic aaron rich was looking for the good lord bird uh, an Emmy winning, not for best miniseries, but an Emmy winning and acclaimed show about uh, 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 the Civil War era activist and um, acclaimed novel by James McBride starring Ethan Hawke. Great, great reviews. Just came out like two years ago, three years ago. He can't find it anywhere. You can pay for it. You can pay it and buy it digitally, but you would think it would be available on Paramount+. Plus. It is not. That's a very recent, highly acclaimed, diverse miniseries that they should be proud to have in their library and to not bother to even show that. Who wants to work for you when the stuff you make, not only does it not get the visibility of a, of a, of a movie theater exhibition or a primetime display, it just disappears after you make it and nobody can find it anywhere. It's, a, it's, it's really bad business, I would think, too. I can't imagine they're saving that much money long term by shrinking down their catalog. I don't know. Disney is losing less money in streaming. That's good news, though, right? Just $300 million Woo! last quarter. That's actually good job. an improvement. It's one of the headlines. Yeah. From its earnings call, Disney hiked prices, lost some customers, about 1.3 million customers, but it's, it is at 149.6 million paid subscribers worldwide. So down, but not exactly out. Other big news, they're trying to get into gaming again. You know, Disney's <laughs> invested $1.5 billion in Epic Games and will partner with the people behind Fortnite to create a new online universe featuring Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and Avatar characters in a world where people can game, shop, watch content, and generally geek out. And it will all be interconnected with Fortnite. So it'll be like, you know, 
being in Adventureland and crossing over to Tomorrowland and 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 then you know having a club penguin card. Remember that little gaming? <laughs> oh side yeah, trip they took. Yeah, yeah, you probably don't. Yeah. Uh, plus, they have a surprise animated film. How they kept this under wraps is beyond me. A sequel to <laughs> Moana comes out this fall. I mean, how is that even possible? How? How? Tell I'll me tell how you. they did I'll, that. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It began as a TV series for Disney Plus, and they've been working on it for a little oh. while. And they, they, what they say is the quality was so great, we decided to put it into theaters. And remember, Toy Story 2 began as a straight-to-video sequel. So what happens, that's why we were like, how could you make an animated film and people not... Well, they had announced it. We knew there was a Moana TV series. It was happening. But what also happened was that Moana, which was a hit film, became massively popular in streaming massively popular for the last four years it has been in the top five most popular movies it's been huge huge repeat business for moana on disney plus and that made them say why the heck are we putting this on our streamer when we could release it in theaters talk about finding jesus you know finding religion after dumping their movies low i think turning red just opened up in theaters this week that moronic decision to take stuff that's been on streamers and dump them in theaters like that's going to make anybody feel good it opened up to like you know less than a million dollars of course because people can watch it for free on their streamer and it's a couple years old even though it's a fine very good movie actually but so moana 2 coming to theaters that's how it happened I, I do wonder, is it going to be episodic? In other words, was it written as a long form or was it like, oh, here's like I'm three sure, episodes I'm sh- together. I'm sure they'll some- figure it out. No, they'll, they'll, make, they'll figure it out and make it, they'll craft it into a satisfying film with a beginning, a middle, and an end. What else is coming to Disney Plus? Taylor Swift. I just need to say Taylor Woo! Swift. It doesn't matter. I don't even know whether she's coming there or not. It's just, you just put, it, put them in your headlines. I, I opened up the New York Times. It was like Taylor Swift click, in five headlines. Click, uh, t- click, Taylor Swift's click. concert film, The Eras Tour, It's coming to Disney Plus, by the way, exclusively, by the way, and with five new songs and ESPN Plus's standalone streamer debuts in the fall of 2025. Speaking of sports and streaming, no, that's for Inside Baseball. We're going to talk about that during Inside Baseball. By the way, um, Taylor Swift, uh, you literally could make the Eras Tour movie two, okay, by just changing up the set list a little, although actually she can't because they're all, you know, she's doing all of her songs, but just you could do a surprise movie like a a surprise you know she has these songs that she does one-offs of every night during the acoustic set that's that's what these songs are the five new songs yeah they're the acoustic songs yeah she could literally just do a whole movie of just those sections of her show just you know Um, i don't know why she doesn't say it say it big deal or big whoop oh is it a big deal or a big whoop uh, it's a big deal. A lot of information in their quarterly report. By the way, they invested $1.5 billion in Epic Games. Epic Games just fired 830 people in 2023. And now they've got this big, huge new project with Disney. Uh, one of the other projects they mentioned was Zootopia 2. Zootopia, to me, was one of the best films of the year and an excellent, excellent movie. And like Tarzan that Disney did. It's a natural for a sequel. So I'm very excited to see that. Um, it's, you know, they've been doing a lot of sequels on Pixar movies that didn't need them. This one makes sense. They're detectives. They'll solve a new crime. The original, by the way, grossed a billion dollars. Let's not forget that. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the Disney world, but let's get to the big news and inside baseball. My goodness, what an exciting big thing it's going to be. 
Well, Inside Baseball is our segment where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. Okay, here's the thing. There are two big, big deals. And no, I know, not big deal, big whoops, but two big business deals when it comes to streaming and sports. Of course, everyone is talking about the Hulu-esque joint venture between Disney, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Fox Corp. Uh, I'm not the first to call it Spulu instead of Hulu, and I won't be the last. But in Europe, another new collective was announced. But before we get to them, let's pop the cork for the end of Peak TV. I don't, you know, I wish I'd known I would have like uh, had my little you know, champagne bottle here. Uh, so yeah. what, what, what are you saying? John Landgraf must have said something. What did he say? That's right. He said the era of peak TV is over. He said, I only had to announce it three times before I got it right. <laughs> He's been saying for a few years, surely we're done. Scripted TV in the U.S. dropped from 600 properties in 2022 to 512 in 2023. It only took COVID and two major strikes to do it. <laughs> and uh, he thinks it will continue in 2024 and it's all to the good. They were making too much stuff. Uh, we want people to have work, but maybe fewer shows with more episodes is the way to go. We don't need 8,000 shows of six episode lengths each, you know, six se- episode seasons. So um, it's all for the best. You know, they were making too much stuff, throwing everything at the wall, throwing bad money after bad. And this is not going to hurt the quality of television. And it will perhaps only help the, uh, people not feel so overwhelmed and maybe pay attention and maybe their libraries will become more valuable because they're not just piling on 10,000 new things every week. So I'm glad to see it. Well, and of course the big news was, well, do you want to talk about the, the, the European? Yeah, let's do the Europeans first. first. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe we don't have to pay for every streamer. Although we're about to talk about one that's probably going to cost $50 a month. Uh, In Europe, public broadcasters launched a new free streaming service. It's called Eurovision Sport and bundles together a host of sports that sit one tier below the big daddy of soccer and make them available in 50 plus markets on one service. They're launching with sports from seven disciplines like swimming, skiing, gymnastics, track and field, podcast producing. Oh, wait, no, that's not a sport. Even though I consider it. Uh, So, you know, tracks... Tracks and talks, tracks and talks with FIFA about including its app FIFA Plus on a non-exclusive basis would bring in lower tier soccer and other countries like Canada and Japan and Australia are heating up. Hey, what about the U.S.? You know, come on, you know, give some of our soccer some love. I mean, it's where all the Europeans go to retire anyway. Uh, it already delivers 43,000 hours of sports a year from 28 different federations. And the tagline echoes the Eurovision song slogan, United by Song. Their slogan? United by sport. Very cool to see. Um, this is the long tail. You know, you've got a channel and you've got hardcore fans for gymnastics. I tune in the Big Ten Network to watch gymnastics and wrestling. Other people love swimming. Other people love track and field. You put it all together in one place and you got yourself a business. Said one of the people who were behind this, how many apps do we actually need? And how many subscriptions do I need to have to watch the sport I love? There is a Big Ten app. There is some other apps that you can subscribe and get like all this content, but I'm not that crazy about all these sports. But something like this in the US, I would love. And then one of their models was the Olympics. They could see how the Olympics and how the Olympic Channel takes all these sports. I still don't think they do a good enough job promoting them because the people get thrilled by swimming and diving and gymnastics two weeks a year or every two years. There's no reason why they shouldn't get excited for all the big annual events as well. But I think this is very cool. And 
uh, for a minute, this was, I thought, the hot sports news of the week. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, Bob Iger was like, oh, I just have this microphone. I just need to put it right over. Oh, I dropped it. Oops, I dropped the mic. <laughs> because Disney Warner Brothers Discovery and Fox Corp are teaming up to deliver a new streamer that will combine all their sports programming on a non-exclusive basis. Let me say that again, okay? Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery and Fox are teaming up I guess there's a pun intended in there to deliver a new streaming site that will include all of their sports programming on a non-exclusive basis. You'd get channels like ESPN, ABC, FS1, which is Fox Sports 1, Fox, TNT, TBS, and 14 others. I'm not going to name them all. That's just to start. Paramount decree. Paramount decree. (laughs) The Paramount decree only referred to theatrical. uh, It was, you know, motion picture exhibitors. Antitrust. 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 (laughs) Well, I'm sure the sports leagues are like, hey, we were just about to try and pull the wool over. I mean, we were trying to get ESPN to pay $10 billion. And if you guys are all going to get together down the line, you're probably trying to put some downward pressure on these prices. What's happening? What's happening here? Well, though, each each one of these companies will own a third of the company and their current subscribers would get access to it in a bundle, which seems like it would include Max and Hulu, and ESPN+, Plus, but no Disney+, Plus. come on. Unclear if it's only available as a super bundle with all three, or you can get, you can get it with just one. Also, pricing, by the way. Uh, no, no idea on pricing. But if it includes Max and Hulu and ESPN+, Plus, you know, Fox not having its own streaming service necessarily. Some suggest a $50 price tag. Nobody knows. But you know who used to do this kind of thing, by the way, Michael? Hmm, uh, what? No, I don't know. What do you mean? A bundling of different channels together in one easy package? What would we call such a thing? Um, I don't know. How would it get into my computer or my television set? How would it get there? What if they were combined, if you wrapped a, a sort of a wire around them, you, uh, you bundle them up with, uh, oh, it comes out of the wall as your cable, I guess. Is that what you mean? The cable that comes out of the wall? Yeah, but how does it get into my house? Cape. Does it does it just like cable. the air? Oh, it comes in through a cable. cable. You know what? Why don't we call them cable subscriptions? Why don't we do that? And if it cost $50, we'd still be buying it and nobody would have over the years. <laughs> so there's a lot to dive into here. We'll try to be quick. Will there be ads? I wasn't even clear. I don't, we don't know a lot. We have very little bit of, the bit of this do we know. Uh, there will almost certainly not be a pure ad-free tier. Maybe, but you probably can't even pay to get rid of ads. You're probably going to be watching ads on this service. It's kind of a skinny bundle. They spent years, of course, dismantling the cable bundle because it was so expensive which was their own fault. We mocked them as they wondered, gee, if only there was a way to provide a bunch of different stuff in one bundle like uh, cable TV. So this is a skinny bundle a la YouTube TV and Sling TV, but it's skinnier. You get 14 linear channels, ABC, Fox, TBS, TNT, and so on, plus Max, ESPN+, Hulu. That's the deal. So you get a bundle with two of the four major networks. Weird. And yet that's what you need to do to avoid renegotiating the sports deals in mid-contract. They've all got their own deals with the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball. But this is just a new platform for like an ESPN channel. So if ESPN gets picked up by Comcast, they don't have to go back and renegotiate their deal. So this is a skinny bundle that's all about sports, sports, sports. The whole point is there are people out there 
who do not have television. They do not have a bundle. They don't have Comcast or some cable company. Unlike me, they don't have YouTube TV or Slingbox or some over-the-air service. And they're not interested in getting something that includes the major networks and cable news and sports. They don't want that. But those people believe there are people out there who don't have a cable TV, but they want sports. So they're saying, if you want sports, this is the package for you. You've got Netflix, you've got Disney Plus, but you miss your sports. Come to us. You won't have to buy you know, 17 different things to get there. Buy this one package and you'll get access to a bunch of sports. Now tell me, why are they doing this? Why, how did the, you know, what's going on here? Well, I mean, there's obviously a transition going on. I mean, it's not just with sports. It's a linear television, so a cable television, like, or, or satellite. Mm-hmm. And of course, people are going to streaming, right? And, and by going to streaming, as you say, Michael, they can get skinnier bundles. They don't necessarily need, they don't like or sports, none. they don't get sports. Yeah, don't, don't, or they don't, don't get any. Or yeah, or none. You're right. There are people out there who, who just say, I don't need to watch television. Now, what is this thing with these pages in it and all these words that are on? Ooh, it's a book. Um, they, <laughs> they, they don't care uh, about, you know, they'll get Netflix. They'll get, uh, you know, HBO Max. There's or just also Max. Sorry, keep- numbers. They're, they're combining forces in a way to hold the line against cord cutting and, in a way, against Amazon and Apple and Netflix with their deep, deep pockets. However, they are not combining their pocketbooks. Uh, Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery and Foxcore are not going to be negotiating as a team for sports rights. This is a platform. They are not going to be buying original sports content for this platform any more than YouTube TV or Comcast does. It's just a platform for the channels they already own. So ABC and ESPN negotiate for stuff, and it appears on this platform just like it appears on Comcast and Spectrum and YouTube TV Plus and wherever else it's carried. So they're not negotiating their, they're not combining their negotiating power, and they're not going to be pooling their money to bid on sports rights as a team. That's not what they say is happening here. Uh, However, there's, the there, are, there is some questions about what will happen when all of these contracts need to be re-upped and, and the downward pressure, which by the way is coming from the fact that like Diamond Sports, for instance, the regional sports network filed for bankruptcy. Uh, you know, you saw the Washington Commanders, uh, the football team sold for $6 billion. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Orioles are being sold for like, you know, $1.5 billion because, you know, the downward pressure, there used to be a lot of money in sports, uh, regional sports networks. Not so much anymore. So there's all those, not, not all tomorrow. Those regional sports networks dying. Yeah. Not, not tomorrow, not next week. The NBA is negotiating their new rights package right now. So maybe with the NBA, the downward pressure on the leagues for, you know, ESPN to go, guys, you know, there's just not as much money in carriage fees anymore. There's just not as much advertising. But that was true. That was true already. This doesn't change that fact. Yeah, but it, this yes, doesn't you're right. Change that. They're already, saying, here's a not- new way to try and get people to subscribe to sports because they're disappearing. So they're trying to, to slow the slide, right? Would somebody be upset if a new cable TV company launched and signed up 20 million people at $50, $50 a month to watch sports? Would there be an outcry? It just happens to be because it's those three companies involved. But if you're worried about cord cutting, if you're worried about the disappearance of regional sports networks, you'd like to see a platform that can presumably only help the rights holders. The Major League Baseball should be happy to see, oh good, there's a new way to reach the sports guy who has cut the cord, right? 
He's cut the cord. Like you said, even if he's, even if I'm in New York City and I subscribe to Major League Baseball because I don't have a cable package anymore and I don't have YouTube TV, I just have Netflix and Disney, but then I subscribe to MLB, that's great. They got my money, but I can't watch the Yankees, so I don't really want that damn deal. So Yeah, I mean, I, I subscribe to, to MLB. Those people. I, I subscribe yeah. to both Spectrum, so my cable, and Major League Baseball, right? I would love to get rid of Spectrum. Love it. Nothing, and I'd, I would be joining you. I'd be over at the YouTube TV house, okay? Just like you. The problem is I can't get my, I can't get the Dodgers on YouTube TV. And I can't. But you will on this platform. Will I? That's the whole point. Yes. Yes. That's the whole point of it. It's just like watching ABC or ESPN. If, if the Dodgers are available on your, on no, a, the, the ABC. Dodgers aren't available on anything. And you know why? And here's the rub. The Dodgers. Well, half the Yankee games are available on TV. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the Dodgers. They're not though, all on the Yankee network. Mm -hmm. All of them are on channel. this 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 one network called the Spectrum Sports Network (SSN). Spectrum bought, created their own sports channel, bought the rights for the Dodgers for like ten years, and and by the way, smart. They knew that people in the in in Los Angeles were going to start cutting the cord if they didn't have something that only they had. And that was smart on them. They're one of the few teams, by the way, where that's an issue. Right. Well, and it's an issue with the Yankees as well. Um, but uh, how big are the offerings? As the Hollywood Reporter put it, this one sports platform will, ha will have offerings from the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, college football, March Madness, the FIFA World Cup, three of the four Grand Slam tennis events, the UFC, Formula One, and NASCAR. Good Lord. But why do they include the ABC channel? Why do they include The Bachelor and The Simpsons and non-sports stuff? Why is that stuff on this platform? The package will reportedly include at least 14 channels, including the entire lineup of ABC and Fox. This is purely contractual. When they do this and carry it that way, it just means they don't have to renegotiate their deals with all the sports league. Whatever you call it, it's just another carrier of their currently existing programming. It's like seeing ESPN be, be, be optioned by a new satellite service. It's just a, a new platform where people can access ESPN. So it's not a new company. It's not a new channel. It's not a new streamer. And they're not having to they're not going to be competing for rights. So it's just a new platform. It's kind of a workaround. Them. It's kind of a workaround for yes. them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But why aren't NBC and Paramount part of the club? I mean, wasn't it illegal already? Why not let them take part? <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at it, Paramount only has uh, the rights to a couple sports, mainly the NFL. Uh, as we saw last night, people were like, how come there's all these advertisements for Paramount Plus? I said, give me a break. Do I have to answer this question? Because it's on CBS. CBS is owned by Paramount Global. Paramount Global owns Paramount Plus. Oh, gosh. Why, why do I live in this town? You people don't. Do anyway, so that's they why. Have they have a lot really of soccer, that. don't they? I don't think Paramount. Maybe Paramount. Uh, no, Apple has soccer. Apple now has well, soccer. They do do as well. Paramount Plus has, has soccer. Oh, okay. Well, you know, and and obviously um, Peacock, Peacock has a lot of soccer as well. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, of NBC course, he has a lot. They have the Olympics. They have the soccer. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe, quite honestly, they're like, hey, yeah, no, we have the Olympics. Here's who we'd like to share that money with. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> you want us? You want it? You got to come to us. We can do this all on our own. Only us. And that might be why. Um, I know. And, and the I, other thing is that they have a different philosophy. If you look at Disney and Fox, they've been pure. They've kept like their 
sports stuff that is only available on ABC. You can't go to a streamer to watch it. You got to go there. Uh, 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 Peacock and Paramount have gotten rid of that a long, long time ago. So um, they they do not do that. Um, uh, so that's that's one reason why they're not involved. Paramount Plus, of course, also works with uh, CBS Sports. So they have uh, the UEFA Champions League, Europa League, and soccer. I believe um, uh, uh, Peacock has a as a as a Premier League. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of sports on there that you wouldn't know. Women's soccer is on Paramount Plus, uh, so there's there's a lot of stuff going on there. And and if you care about sports, they have it, but they have a different philosophy of mixing up streaming and broadcast. Whereas Fox and ABC have kept it sort of pure, so they have a di- different philosophy as far as what should be available where and how that impacts their business decisions. And I guess it, maybe here's an analogy: um, the league's concern, not right now maybe EMBA's concern, since they are negotiating now, is that right now, uh, I guess the analogy would be like if you were paying, I don't know, the Rolling Stones, let's take that, and you're paying them both for the CD rights, the, the rights to make an actual physical media, like a record or, a, uh, or a, a compact disc or a cassette tape, and you're paying them in that, within those rights, you're also paying for the right to stream that music, but only if for the people who bought the record of the t- And so eventually the, the leagues fear what will happen is they'll say, look, uh, we don't need the, the linear rights anymore because we moved everybody yeah. over to the streaming thing. So actually we're going to pay less. And that's the, the leagues are fearing that down the line that even though they're not negotiating together, that this is allowing for the massive move away from linear, which is like the analog dollars. And what they'll end up getting at the end of it is digital dimes. And of course, as but, Michael, you and I talked about before we began recording the question of, yeah, they say they're not, they're not negotiating together, but is that true? I mean, uh, the antitrust. Uh, on the other hand, over- when you look, when you, when you list the top television events, <laughs> and it does not include some hit shows on Netflix and such, but when you look at the top television events of the past year, like 95 of them were sports. Mostly football and bas- a few basketball. I mean, that's it, baby. It's, it's all sports. So if the sports things are worried, like they're still in the driver's seat. They're still providing content that is hugely, hugely popular. How's it going to affect bidding? We don't really know. They're not pulling their money. We do know each company gets a third of the joint venture. But of course, it's not a joint venture among equals. When you look at the $20 billion in sports rights spending, that this venture represents. This venture represents $20 billion. Overall, there's about $30 billion a year spent on the right to sports each year. And most of those sports rights are available on streamers. But of this group of three companies, Disney's paying about 50% of that total, Fox 30%, and Warner Brothers Discovery at 20%. So that's probably how they'll break down the profits. Still, it's, there must be an incentive for them not to outbid each other, though, of course, Amazon and Apple loom, as does Netflix, which it ain't a sport, but wrestling is a live weekly event, and they are now doing that, and they've just signed up two baseball documentary projects with the Boston Red Sox, so they're doing live programming all the time. They're promoting sports now more and more often. You got to figure at some point, they'll say, well, we're good at this. We might as well start bidding for sports. Yeah, you know, they always, uh, Netflix calls it sports entertainment. They never say live sports. They say, no, sports entertainment. 
So it's not right, they, they it, purposefully do that because they don't want to get into this bidding. They're like, nope, we're not. We're out. We're not doing that. Well, they're getting closer and closer every day. But how the hell was this legal? I never understood how Hulu was legal. That always seemed bizarre to me. But my goodness, antitrust monopoly. Anybody? My God. Well, they're <laughs> just. just seems, the way, I don't the even way, know how they spoke to each other to do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I always find it very funny how, you know, the digital cinema initiative was the six studios coming together and saying, okay, what do we need technology wise as a standard for digital cinema for to send movies to movie theaters to make sure that they don't get pirated? And the number of lawyers in the room for each meeting, I think, outnumbered the number of studios. It was ridiculous how many lawyers were in the room. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, no, no, no pricing. Oh, oh, oh no, no, don't uh, uh, send that to me first to get to be double checked. Meanwhile, all you hear about is is uh, David Zaslov having lunch with somebody over at Paramount and discussing a merger. And meanwhile, yeah. you got so you got Bob Iger over here going, yeah, we're all going to get together. I'm like, really? Because you couldn't do that when it was a bunch of techies sitting in a room and trying to figure out whether it should be 250 megabits per second or 300 megabits per second for digital cinema. So give me a break. Yes. Well, uh, sports rights are not dead. They will flourish for years to come because people are watching them and it's the one guaranteed content that you have out there. You never know if someone's going to show up for your movie like Argyle, but they will show up for the Super Bowl. And people died. And I'm sorry, Sperling, but they were all really interesting. Okay, and let's stop being light here because a sad event happened last week when we talk about honoring stunt people. It's because they are literally risking their lives, which they shouldn't. This is not about a stunt person, but a crew member died on the set of the Marvel TV series Wonder Man. No filming was taking place that day, but the crew was working. Ironically, it's a show about a stuntman turned superhero. And of course, Alec Baldwin is going to trial. Uh, I have to empathize with SAG-AFTRA, which said actors are not supposed to be, you know, safety weapons experts. You should not ever, they should never be responsible for weapons safety. That's not their job. They're actors. Uh, so I, I, I do empathize with that. And there's a great article that I've linked to called Why You've Never Died in a Plane Crash. Uh, about blameless postmortems, how when something happens like this crew member dying, instead of trying to place blame and, you know, someone will go to jail if some reckless, wild negligence goes on, but generally you're not trying to punish someone and place blame when you investigate a plane crash. You're trying to figure out what the heck went wrong because it can't be down to one person. Otherwise, your system is screwed. You want to fix the system and make sure that type of accident doesn't happen again. It's fascinating and interesting, and uh, it should be adopted more and more in Hollywood. But that was a TV show about a stuntman and a real-life stuntman in Happier News. Hall of Fame stunt person Mickey Gilbert died at 87, but it happened naturally after a long and storied career. He doubled for Redford, Gene Wilder, Lee Majors. That's him jumping off the cliff in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's also him riding on a bicycle go backwards in the same film, doubling for Paul Newman. Lots of credits in his 60-year career. It began with The Wild Bunch, went through The Last of the Mohicans, The Blues Brothers, and as a grand finale, doubling for Redford one last time in 2018's charming movie, The Old Man and the Gun. And he's part of a dynasty. All three of his sons and all five of his grandsons work as stunt people. And of course, country star Toby Keith died at 62. He sang Should Have Been a Cowboy, How Do You Like Me Now, along with the questionable equestrian care of the song Beer for My Horses. He had 20 number one hits on the country charts. What did you think of Carl Weathers? He died, of course. He was in Rocky and Predator, a fun career. He spoofed himself in Happy Gilmore and Arrested Development. 
He acted for 50 years. God bless him. He was in Toy Story 4, voicing the character of Combat Carl, and nine episodes of The Mandalorian, even directing one of them. And he was in a Super Bowl ad this week, and they kept him in, didn't they? I thought that was the right call. What did you think? I liked what they did. He was in a, an ad, and at the very end, they, they said, let's take like maybe five seconds out of our 30-second spot to like do a, an honorary thing. I liked that. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Carl Weathers. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Did you ever see, uh, well, they, this, was in, uh, this was not near you, I guess, but uh, uh, trailblazing Japanese conductor uh, Seiji Ozawa died at 88. Now, today, it's commonplace to see Asian and Asian-American musicians in the classical world. But in the 1960s, Ozawa was like a thunderbolt, leading the way for a flood of talented artists in the West. And he helped increase the popularity of Western classical music throughout Asia, especially Japan, Korea, and China, which reaped the rewards when those talented musicians came back to the West. He went on to lead the Boston Symphony for 29 years. To put this in context, 29 when he started out, years, 29 yeah, years. Yeah. Too, too many years, as many would have said, uh, which is no slight on him. Uh, you know, 29 years is too much to be in one place like that creatively, but that's okay. He had a storied, wonderful career. He deserves praise. And to put into context, when he started out, critics would just say, oh, Asians can't play classical music. You know, they can do the technical stuff, but they can't really plumb its emotional depths. You know, like they're automatons or not really human. That was literally what people would write and say all the time in major publications. So, good Lord. Now, last week, we celebrated the life of a scholar who elevated the study of horror films simply by taking them seriously as a reflection of the wider culture. Now it's time to mention the major contributions of scholar Clyde Taylor, who died at the age of 92. He brought the focused study of black filmmakers into the mainstream of academia via museum exhibits, extensive writing, documentaries, a talking head. He showed how black cinema wasn't just worthy of study, but exhibited its own unique characteristics. He focused attention on early black filmmakers like Oscar Michaud and championed the early work of a new generation of talent, including Billy Woodbury, Julie Dash, and the great Charles Burnett. In music, we lost Wayne Kramer. He's one of the greatest guitarists in rock. It's true. Rolling Stone magazine said so. Wayne Kramer was a founding member of the punk rock group MC5. They kicked out the jams and rocked until their radical left-wing politics and drug addictions led to harassment by the U.S. government and internal meltdowns. Plus, on their big live album, they cursed on the song Kick Out the Jams, which was mind-blowing for 1969. Actor Ian Lavender of Dad's Army died at 77. This is where Sperling says, who, what, why? Sympathies to our British listeners who are mourning the death of actor Ian Lavender. He did everything from acting on stage opposite Dustin Hoffman in The Merchant of Venice to playing a gal pal on EastEnders for five years. But he's beloved for his role as the dim-witted soldier Private Pike on the smash hit sitcom Dad's Army. The hugely popular show focused on the home guard during World War II. It ran for nine seasons from 1968 to 1977. It was an industry unto itself. It spun off a feature film, a radio play, a stage play, tours, conventions, and he took part in them all. He probably spent half his life smiling response to a people shouting out, you stupid boy. <laughs> That's, that was the catchphrase that he, he was on the end of. And uh, speaking of beloved British comic characters, Steve Coogan is reviving Alan Partridge for the BBC. If you know what that means, you'll be delighted. And of course, theater legend Cheetah Rivera died at 91. I saw her on stage, so I'm very excited by that. Bassist Aston Barrett of reggae fame died at 77. He was on every recording, basically, of Bob Marley in his 
big era, as well as a lot of other big acts like with Lee Scratch Perry, King Tubby, Rob, uh, on and on, Augustus Pablo, Peter Tosh, you name it. Finally, Hank Bradford, a stand-up comic and longtime head writer for Johnny Carson's The Tonight Show, died at 88. He put the comedy into the movie Smokey and the Bandit, with no credit, and had a few credits on shows like Three's Company and MASH, but his career in late night shows what a cutthroat world it could be. He had a sensibility like Carson, so writers in the writer's room knew if they made him laugh, they were on the right track. That's one reason he was the second longest running head writer for Johnny Carson. He once had Simon and Garfunkel open for him and says Joan Rivers stole a joke from him that was key to her debut comedy album. But here's how Late Night goes. He became the head writer on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson when Marshall Brickman, of future Annie Hall fame, quit to be the head writer for The Dick Cavett Show. Then, in 1986, Bradford ignored her larceny and went on to be head writer for Joan Rivers on her late-night talk show competing with Johnny Carson. Had he betrayed Johnny? Not really. Carson had fired him and almost the entire staff a decade earlier. <laughs> That's late-night for you. Wow. Okay. And it's well, a late night for us as we wind up this episode. That's true. And if you want to make sure you hear the next episode where hopefully fewer people, come on, start taking care of yourselves, people. We, we can't end every episode with 90 different obituaries. We need you to stay alive, people. Join a union for Pete's sake. Get some health care. Yes, get some health care. Yes. <laughs> If you want to, uh, you know, find out who died next week, uh, tune into uh, our program, which can be found on iTunes, the Google Podcasts, Microsoft Marketplace, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. You can usually find us. Uh, links to those ways to subscribe to us, or those were all the stories we've discussed on today's episode. That, that can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's also where you'll find those ways to contact us. We are you can email us, actually, dirt at showbizsandbox.com, D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on, I, I almost said Twitter. We're on, yeah, you know what? I am saying Twitter. We're on twitter.com, at showbizsandbox is our handle. Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can like our page. Uh, and you know what? Again, all that information the, the links to all the stories we discussed today, ways to subscribe to us and contact us on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. Their new single, Mother Nature, is out now, and their new album, Loss of Life, very close. It's going to be coming out Woo! February 23rd. They can also be found on their website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Gilds has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? And this week it's Spulu.com, which is taken, by the way. Somebody jumped on that, I think, and said, no, 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 because it's up for sale, but you got to pay a broker's fee and they're not really using it. I think somebody is Bigfoot in that one. Yeah, well, if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head on over to MichaelGiltz.com, where all of his work can be found. Some of my work can be found on CelluloidJunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Uh -huh.